Hi, this is Brian Donahue. I'm the planner and lead pastor at Pursuit Friends Church. We're really excited and humbled that you've chosen to spend some time with us this week. We here at Pursuit Friends are committed to pursuing God with abandon and passion. We'd love for you to be a part of our Sunday morning gathering as we worship, hear the message from God's Word, and fellowship. We've got a great community that the whole family can feel a part of something special and authentic. I'll talk more about that at the end of our message this week, though. I hope you've come hungry for the Word, that you're at a place in your heart to receive a challenging and life-giving Word from the Lord today. Let's dive in together. I'm kind of fired up this week about this um, message on prayer and fasting. We're in the middle of a series uh, called Pursuing God, and we have covered pursuing God in worship, Kristen talked about pursuing God in authenticity. Uh, a couple weeks ago now, last week we were with the Kent Chinese Friends Church and Winona Friends. Wasn't that a good time? That was such a refreshing time to be with those folks and other brothers and sisters and just get encouraged and be with a larger body um, in a different setting. Um, and um, uh, I, just, I just love Pastor Samuel and Pastor Rusty and consider them good friends and brothers and uh, it's just good. And if I can just share a personal note with you, um, Rusty said something in a sermon that I'd never really realized before. And it was that planning a church was something he'd been praying over me for a while that he saw that. And, um, so it was just a blessing, um, to get that confirmation that, that God is in it. You know, sometimes I feel like um, I love preaching on the children of Israel, particularly the Exodus and Moses and all that stuff, because it, it really kind of pictures in, in, in a lot of ways the disciples as well in the New Testament. The children of Israel came out of Egypt as slaves, right? And God does incredible, miraculous things everywhere all around them, right? They cross the Red Sea. And there's, it's, it's crazy, like within three days, they start complaining. You know, we don't got enough food, enough water. What are we going to do? We should, we, it'd be better for us to be back in Egypt. You can imagine Moses just going, it's been three days, guys. Are you kidding me? You were slaves. You're getting whipped. You're getting beaten. You're having to do horrible manual labor all day long for an empire that held you in captivity. And you're here, and yeah, we might be in the desert. We might be wandering a little bit. We might be heading to where God has called us to, but three days and you're already complaining. And God just did miracle after miracle after miracle for those folks, and they still found a way to complain and a reason to doubt and all of those things. And then the disciples in the New Testament, same thing. They're walking with Jesus every day. They're seeing miracle after miracle. They're hearing him preach the most amazing things they've ever heard that things that are cha- that are about to change the entire earth. And yet they still have doubts. And that's just so encouraging to me uh, when I see that. But you know, one, one reason that I believe today that we as Christians experience doubts besides our human nature and the part of our sin nature that wants to just hang on or that we allow to hang on to us. Um, 
I think one of the reasons for that is because we're not doing the right type of battle against it. We're not raging against our sinful nature in the right way. And one of the best ways that I know how and that I read in God's word to do battle against our sinful nature and the de- desires of our flesh and the things that we struggle with and even the things of the earth that are not, we don't battle against uh, flesh and blood anyways, the Bible says. We ba- it's, it's a spiritual battle and that is through prayer and fasting. And turn to Isaiah 58. And I just want you to know that this week as I've gone through um, this passage of Scripture, I've really felt convicted in a lot of ways. Um, it's been a couple weeks of conviction for me anyways, is just trying to figure out a healthier balance in life and all of those things. But, uh, man, this, this is such a good chapter in Isaiah. And it's really powerful for us when we think about prayer and fasting. And I, but before we read it, I, I just, I want to kind of bring to you and, and, and hopefully you know this in at least in some general sense, but there in life, uh, the life of a true disciple is marked by how they pursue God in four key disciplines. And you can break these down and create a bunch of other subcategories, but there are four key disciplines. And the first one is study God's word, the study of God's word. And these are in no particular order. Prayer and fasting, I would put it number two. Worship is number three. And then finally, obedience to his will, according to the word of God. I always like to say that if, if, if you're a prayer, prayer, but you don't read much of the word of God, be very careful. Because if you receive something that you believe is from the Lord and it doesn't line up with the word of God, guess what? It's not. It wasn't from the Lord. It's either your own flesh conjuring that up, or it could actually be the devil trying to confuse you and get you off course. But we see here God is, is calling Isaiah right now to speak to the people of Judah. And he basically says, you religious people. Who else said that? I think Jesus said that a time or two, right? You religious people. He basically says, you look religious, but you are actually far from me. I just summed up the whole chapter for you. Goodbye. Let's go eat. <laughs> let's pray. Let's go eat. This, that's basically what, I, what God is calling Isaiah to say. But in verse 1, it kind of starts, this is the prophet of God and doing what God called many prophets to do, a really hard thing. But God is calling Isaiah to do this in boldness in verse 1. He says, shout it aloud, do not hold back. Man, how often in our lives are we confronted with sin? And we hold back, we hide it, we try to sugarcoat it. We're afraid to speak into someone else's life, right? Now we need to do that in gentleness and love and compassion and make sure we have the right attitude and spirit about it. But he says, shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. You know, the prophets of God always had to, this was a big part of their job and they sometimes got stoned and killed and chased out of town for it. But you know, we, we just serve a God who always calls out sin. And that's something we as Christians need to really recognize and get wrestle with and get a hold of and 
God always calls out sin. Sometimes it may take years. Sometimes we can get away with stuff for a long time. Sometimes it could be actual actions and things that we do outwardly with our hands and feet, with our mouth, with our whatever. Sometimes it's an inward thing. Sometimes it's a secret thing, but God always calls out sin, especially to his children who he loves. We see here in verse 2, it says, For the day, for day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways. Are you starting to f- see this just dripping with a little bit of godly sarcasm? As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. There's this kind of surface level hunger here. We're good about surface level hunger in the American church today. We can come into our places of worship and look the part, talk the part. And sometimes as pastors, we get excited about somebody that shows a little more eagerness But oftentimes even that is just a surface level hunger. It's based on, I think if I do this, it's going to help me. There's no surrender, no obedience, no real giving everything that we have to the Lord. It's just a surface level hunger. It's it's like the most, one of the dumbest thing I could do with my life is go to a buffet not hungry. That's just stupid. Why would I do that? I love buffets. I'll starve all day long if I know I'm going to a buffet so I can eat as much as I can, right? If it's a buffet I love, that's going to happen. Or a Red Lobster Shrimp Fest. You know what I mean? I will not eat all day long. Sometimes, not always. But if if I'm really hungry for that and I really want that, I'll do what it takes to get there. I'll make sure I position myself in a place that I have a hunger for that. We see in verse two, there's this outward sign. They do these things for day after day. Even there's continuation of this. They seem eager to know my ways, but he says, as if they were a nation that does what is right. So basically I believe God is teaching us here and we see it throughout the Bible that you can say you want to obey me all day long, but unless it's followed by obedience, it ain't nothing. God always calls out sin, and there's this surface-level hunger. We could probably say this is even a type of lukewarmness. And then in verse 3, it says this, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Very often we go through the routine, the ritualistic routine of religious activity, And then when good things don't happen, we actually place blame on God for not answering. But what we do, oftentimes we don't look inward in our prayers, in our lives, as we're fasting, as we're praying, as we're worshiping. Oftentimes we just want to keep it on the surface and we want it to look good, but there's a lack of true surrender before the Lord. And when our prayers don't get answered, we don't look inward enough. We want to place blame on the Lord. There's a lot of people who play this game with God in their their relationship with Him. We want the rewards of God without being willing to run the race. We want the trophy, but we're not willing to do the training. 
I desire on a very surface level to lose my belly fat. Okay. I would like for once, well, it happened when I was younger. And then about 10 years ago now, right before we moved back from Utah back to Ohio, I desire to look in the mirror sideways and just be just straight down. I don't want, you know what I mean? I would just love to get into some pants that are a couple sizes smaller than these I'm wearing right now that I keep in the top of my closet just in case, you know? I would love for that to happen, but until my surface level desire goes deeper, right? Devin's like going, mm-hmm, right, uh-huh. I tell you, she tells me this all the time, you know? When are you going to actually do it? Until that desire grows into a real hunger to change my behavior and surrender something and sacrifice something like late night snacks before I go to bed, like eat more salad, you know, eat less junk food, exercise once in a while for crying out loud, you know, until I put into action the desire, the desire is kind of meaningless. It doesn't do anything for me. And a lot of Christians go through their relationship with God like this, like and we treat God like he's Santa Claus. And even that's not even totally accurate, actually, from a theological perspective, because Santa Claus requires that you're actually good. It's more like the tooth fairy. <laughs> Big whoop-de-doo. Your tooth fell out. You did nothing. It's just a natural part. You know, here you go. You know, that's how we treat God. Like, oh, look at what I did, God. I spent a few minutes with you. Isn't that wonderful? I'm praying to you. You should answer my prayers. That's what your word says. No, it doesn't. It actually doesn't work like that. Isaiah challenges them further. If you look at the second half of verse 3. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. I don't ever do that. Do you guys? And exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it not for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Or is it only? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? See, what I believe God is trying to say is that you anybody can take a day and be holy for a day, or at least not do the bad things they did the day before. Anybody can do that on the face of the earth. Any religious person can do that. Any non-religious person can do that. Can be good for one day. But God is saying, I desire your whole life to be surrendered to me. I desire you to give up more and more for me. He challenges them. Is this all, all that there is? Then he says this, the purpose of our fasting is much larger than just personal breakthrough and asking God for stuff. True fasting has to start with a hunger for more of God and a willingness to surrender everything to him. 
fasting while still being subject to your sinful nature achieves nothing. So we can fast all we want to, but during our day of fast or however long we're fasting, if we're still surrendering to our sinful self and our sinful nature and the flesh, you might as well just stop the fast and just eat or just continue on. But I love this about this passage. I love this about our God because God doesn't just say, hey, you're doing it wrong. He says, here's the right way. It's the God we serve. He always shows us the way. He always offers the attainable. He doesn't ever leave us hanging. If we think something in his word is unattainable, it's because we are so wrapped up in our flesh that we're listening more to the voices of doubt and unbelief than we are to the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah brings into the light how insignificant they have made their fasting. And we can do all that stuff, but God's really after our hearts. And he compares and shows them what God really desires. Look at verse 6 and 7. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? See, now for us, this this doesn't mean when we fast that we should walk around looking for naked people, right? But there's people like our friends Carrie and Kevin who they do walk around and drive around and look for people that need shoes. And they are feeding the hungry. And it's not that every time we enter into a fast, I don't think what Isaiah is saying here is that every time we enter into a fast, we have to go serve at a soup kitchen. But I'm saying is, is, or what I believe God is saying, that as we fast and as we pray, as we set ourselves aside and we deny our flesh, that God says that ought to inspire you into some form of obedience and you ought to be open and looking around for those that are hurting and lost. And that what you receive from me in that quiet time, in that time of prayer and fasting, when you're denying your flesh, is power and authority and an equipping and empowerment to go out and be my hands and feet to the earth and to those around you. Fasting is not, it, it, it's, it's something that is personal for us. It's something that we, we receive an awful lot from God that is just for us. And we should approach fasting that way. We can't ask God to use us to do anything that's bigger than ourselves unless we're willing to first take a look inward at what we need to change and what we need to surrender to the Lord. We have to start with personal surrender. And then we need to start with more of a public surrender of our reputation and our time and our efforts and our energy as we say, God, now release me so that I can be your hands and feet. And so fasting always starts with the inward look and worship of God. And it should result in a transformed life that's now ready to go out into the world and live it. When we surrender whole, fully and wholeheartedly to the Lord, I believe power and anointing is released into our lives. We can walk in greater freedom 
But again, we've got to be surrendered. We've got to want God more than we want the things of this earth. And that really um, hinders a lot of people because a lot of people in the body of Christ want more of the good life. And there's nothing wrong with desiring that on a basic level. But when we desire that more than we want to do what God's will is for our lives, if we just want to go about our business and go through life and go to the grocery store, go to restaurants, go get gas, all this stuff, and just be left alone and just, you know, not have to worry about interacting with other people, then why are you a Christian? It's just to get to heaven, apparently. And I, I, I mean, I was, if, if you get to heaven and I'll, re, I'll rejoice with you, praise God. But man, we are called to so much more than just to get to heaven. The good news is that he doesn't stop there. Listen to what he says in verse 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath the delight in the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cease and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The Lord will guide you always, you know, satisfy your needs. He'll give you strength. That's good news. But it does come with the price, and that's obedience. It's obedience. We love our kids unconditionally, right? It doesn't mean it's always easy. Because I tell you what, my, my kids can look at me uh, with much sternness and rebelliousness in their hearts and tell me, no way, Jose. My name's not even Jose. <laughs> and so it, it, it can be hard sometimes, and I can only imagine how hard it is uh, for the father in that sense to love us. It's easy for him because he's God and he's full of love and grace, and he um, sent his only son. He proved his love for us by sending Jesus down to die for us and pay the price. But just, I can imagine what it is for me as a father when I'm disappointed that my kids just won't obey me on a basic level about really small things sometimes. And what disappointment that brings in my heart. And sometimes heaviness too. And especially when they kick and scream and just rage against me. Man, it just hurts my heart. And how the father must feel for his kids. And he's a much better father than I am. He's got so much more love than I have. Because I want to model God's love to my kids and help teach them how to relate to God as their heavenly father, my love has to be unconditional in the sense that they can't earn it or ever take away my love. That's what I mean by unconditional love. It doesn't mean that I accept their sin. It doesn't mean that I let them wallow in it and without saying anything and trying to bring correction. 
Even, even as they grow older into their teen years, and hopefully as they get into adults, I'll have some input into their life spiritually um, that, you know, I might see something. I go, you know, can I talk to you about that? I'm not sure that's the way you want to go. I'm not sure that's the behavior you want to, you know. My love for them started while they were inside my wife's belly. They didn't earn it. All they did was react to God's creation the way God created it to react and grow. All that That's all they did. My wife and I loved each other. And they became created because of God's goodness and grace and his marvelous creative artistry. And this baby grew inside my wife and my wife had to push it out and... They did nothing to earn my love. and In fact, they did everything, especially that first year, to try to get me to hate their guts. <laughs> nothing but crying and screaming every time they want anything. No please or thank yous whatsoever. Right? Threw up all over me, like pooped in there, like, come on. You know, peed all over, you know, just kept us up at night. Like they did everything they could to make us hate their guts. I'm kidding a lot, of course, you know. We love our kids unconditionally, but they didn't do anything to earn my love. They've tried to frustrate it, and I try to frustrate the father's love too. And as adults, we do that, I think, more than we care to really come to grips with. We get so frustrated with our kids, and it's so easy to just... Ugh. But sometimes we need to take some time to just focus on the Lord and say, Father, how am I frustrating you today? Because, man, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? My never-ending love will literally fall around my kids for as long as I'm alive. Unconditional love does not mean that there is a lack of consequences and guidelines. And this is where the love of God or or God or Jesus as an all-loving God gets grossly misrepresented and understood in our society today. It's one of the things that just boggles my mind about people that both Christians can, can get into this perspective and get struggle from this, but also the unbeliever that's searching or at least claiming to search for truth. How can an all-loving God let bad things happen to good people? Right? How can that happen? It's just misunderstood. And here's, here's, here's the thing for us as Christians. Um, no one that I know on the face of the earth lives out that kind of love that I don't let bad things happen to good people around me. As a father, I cannot keep every bad thing from happening to my children. But if they obey me, especially in their early years, if they obey me, for the most part, they're probably going to be okay. Because obeying me means don't run out across a very busy street or highway. And if I love them and I let them do whatever they want to do, right, according to this standard, if I'm an all-loving father, I'm going to let them do whatever they want to do. I'm just going to let them run right out in that highway. And Is that what a good father does? No, a good father brings instruction and discipline. 
love does actually have guidelines and restrictions and rules and commands. God's love draws us into a heart for obedience when we realize that his plan and way is way better than our plans and our ways. That's one thing I hope our kids come to know (laughs) is that I don't just have rules for them just to hinder their lives, but the more they obey the rules and the more they follow them, actually the more freedom they will receive, the more benefit they will receive, the more likely they are to be able to spread their wings a little bit and get more responsibilities and more freedoms in their lives and the, you know, the ability to stay up a little later and, you know, whatever, all of the kind of perks as a kid that you can get if you have good behavior, you know, and I know that can vary from household to household, but it's just, it's the concept that, you know, the more we obey, the more God actually opens up freedom to us to obey and realize that that is where true joy comes from. When we're in obedience to the Father, we're going to be way more happy, way more satisfied than we could ever be in, in our own rebellion to Him. I was really convicted um, about what freedom looks like according to God's Word. Because I don't know about you guys, but uh, there are times when I just reject the freedom of God. I just want to do it my way. And when I tell my kids to do something, I just want them to do it, right? I desire them to obey because I know that they are incapable of making the right decisions on their own at this stage in their lives. And apart from the word of God, guess what? We are incapable of making the right decisions in our lives. Why don't we just surrender? And a lot of people treat prayer and fasting as an add-on to their faith, at least in America. And I can't get away from the realization in Revelation that prayer and fasting should be an integral part of our lives. And I wonder what kind of miracles and power and might of God that we might be available to us if we would just get this down. The Lord laid on my heart to, to say this. It is, show me a Christian who doesn't pray much and I'll show you a Christian who doesn't have much of a relationship with Jesus. Because we can read the Word of God all day long, but if we're not asking God for the power to apply that to our lives. If we're not talking to God and having times of quiet where we're trying to receive from the Lord and listen for that still small voice, we can read, 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 read all day long, right? Haley, you're going to school. You know, you can study all day long and you're doing a lot of reading to accomplish that. But until it is, it is something that becomes ingrained in you, and you're applying it to your life, and you're letting that knowledge grow, and you're really taking it to heart, and it's changing the way you act and the way you believe, it's kind of worthless. Sometimes we, I was a classic, I studied for tests, not necessarily for (laughs) long-term benefit. You know what I mean? There are many things that I studied 
growing up in high school and in college in particular, that just I'd learned it long enough for the test. And then come final exam time when it said it was going to be cumulative, I would just go, you know, because I wouldn't refresh myself necessarily in that information over and over and over again and continue that to the process. Even though the syllabus said at the end, it is a cumulative test. I would somehow forget that every time it would just go, you know, we've got to study God's word. We've got to be in it every day. We've got to memorize it and make it a part of who we are. But man, we've got to be in prayer and fasting. And it all starts with hunger. I believe one of the main reasons why more Christians don't pray more and don't fast hardly at all is because we're not hungry enough. We just simply aren't hungry. And we're waiting for whether we're charismatic leaning or not, we are waiting for an aha moment, a miraculous sign. We're waiting for God just to, there you go, hunger. Now you got it. And here at Pursuit Friends, we are, that name is not an accidental, it's not just a gimmick. We really want to be in pursuit of God. And a big part of that, guys, is has got to be obviously the study of his word. It's we're in community together. We're growing together. We're learning. We're making mistakes together and showing grace to each other because of those things. We're just learning how to do this thing um, called church. But I believe what will set us apart is not our worship music. As great as it is, it'll get greater the more we go. It's, it's not the fantastic lunches we have, and those are pretty great. It's not even the community that we build in that hopefully will be enriching and desirable for other people who are coming in that are lost and hurting, or even other believers that are just saying, no, I think there's more. I think there's something more than what we've been experiencing. But I believe what will set us apart is how well we do the prayer and fasting piece. Because I think all of those other things will benefit tremendously, much far more, no matter how much we strategize, no matter how much we think and get together and plan, all of those things will be enriched the more we pray and fast. And they'll be enriched because as we're praying and fasting, we're pursuing God for ourselves, And we're surrendering our lives to him as we do that. And then that will naturally seep back into us as a bit larger group as a church. And God, I believe we will see miracles. We will see God transform lives. We're already seeing that to a large degree. Now we've got some cool stories, some neat things happening. But I believe God is calling us to a season of prayer and fasting. And this is my challenge to us. I talked a little bit about it at our uh, planning meeting on Wednesday, but... Um, I just want to make sure I'm clear about what I'm challenging us to. Uh, in the coming week, I would like to challenge us to fast two days of your choice. To pick which days we believe God would have us fast. 
and fasting, and here's, here's part of the challenge, fasting for an entire day means breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Because anybody can fast breakfast and lunch if they know they got a yummy dinner coming. That's not a sacrifice. That's a minor sacrifice. It might be really hard, especially if you've never fasted intentionally. But for me, an all-day fast is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Don't eat those things. And even if you can't spend extra time with the Lord during those time periods, because we some of us have kids, right? It's we've got kids we gotta feed. Um Find other times to intentionally be more with the Lord. And here's the greater challenge that I'm going to do. And this is where it's going to get harder for me. Okay. Because I believe I'm personally convicted to do that twice a week, starting this week. So what the Lord has been working in me the last several weeks to get me to this point. Um, But what's really going to be hard is when I take out Facebook and social media for, for that whole day, when I take out movies and television video games, um, and all those things in that category, whatever else I'm missing. Um, that's when the sacrifice is going to go up and I'm going to show God my true hunger. And for those of us with kids, what the sacrifice for us means, it may mean we have to also tell our kids no television, no video games. Let's play some board games. Let's get books out. Let's color. Let's play with our toys. But this is what we're doing as a family. Because I also want Peyton and Brody to see. I want to start teaching them about this concept of fasting. I'm not going to ask them not to eat. Because that would look ugly. (laughs) But surely we can say to our kids... Caleb, you can't watch TV today. You know? Let's stay off social media, you know? And again, it's got to be strategic for each family, what works best for each family. And that's, that's, just, that's just my challenge to us, to pick two days. And I, des- I feel like God is saying, let's do this for a while. We may see how long God has us to do this. I think it's going to be several weeks at least maybe even up until we actually launch publicly. But I just believe God is asking us for more sacrifice, for more surrender, for more hunger. And that's, there's going to be days when it's going to be really hard, when we're just going to be hungry and we just want to check our Facebook or Instagram, or we just, you know, it'd be just easier just to put the kids down in front of the television. But let's see what God does as we surrender to him. Let's see what happens. I believe great things. But it starts with hunger. How hungry are we? God is asking us as pursuit friends to show him how hungry we are. I believe that with all my heart. If we really want this, we'll do what it takes. And I also want you to know that there is always grace. You know? especially if you haven't done a lot of fasting, there's grace. If, if you eat something, there's grace. Just get back on track. You know, you get off a little bit off course, get back on track, Re, rededicate it, recommit yourself saying, Father, let me fill me up. I need you to fill that hunger. I want you more than I want that donut. 
or that slice of bologna, I think I can sneak, you know? I've, yeah, I've done that. Let's pray. Father God, would you give us a hunger, Lord? Would you stir in us a desire for more of you? May we be a people that doesn't just talk about prayer and fasting and we do it once in a while. And when we do it, Lord, we just expect you to open up your heavens. Father, may this be a natural routine part of our walk with you and our relationship with you. May we dedicate ourselves to praying and fasting on a regular basis. Father, it would be something we do, not just when we really need you to show up in our lives and do something incredible, but that, Father, it would be, it we would do it just because the last time we did it was so rich and full of your presence, and we're hungry for more of that, and we want to go deeper just for the sake of being with you, Lord God. So, Father, would you empower us? Would you empower this church and all who might listen to this message, Lord God? that they would be challenged to a greater life of prayer and, and fasting, that we would surrender ourselves more and more and more and give you all that you deserve and all that you're worthy of, Lord God. May we not chase after the things of this earth. May we chase after you, Lord God. You'll take care of all those things. As we're faithful to you and obedient to you, as we work hard, we use the gifts you've given us, Lord. You will take care of all those things, but may we pursue after you with abandon and with passion. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that you've been encouraged and empowered to live out the gospel wherever you go this week. I'd also like to encourage you to be in God's Word every day. Because as great as I think this podcast is, it's not enough nourishment to get you through the week. Make your faith and relationship with Jesus personal. And the best way to do that is to be in His Word daily. If you don't have a church home, I'd like to invite you to check out Pursuit Friends Church. We'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. You can find out more about us at PursuitFriends.org. I hope you have a great week as you pursue God with abandon and passion.